This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by BookWitty. BookWitty is a knowledge-sharing platform that allows people to share their thoughts and ideas about anything related to books or reading. Their personalized news feed allows members to see any new content posted by the people they follow, and sign up is free. BookWitty members can order books from around the world while benefiting from fair prices and free worldwide shipping. Visit bookwitty.com today, B-O-O-K-W-I-T-T-Y.com to get your free account now. Welcome to a special edition of the Book Riot podcast. I'm Rebecca Shinsky coming to you from bookriot.com. I am joined today by special guests. We have Lisa Lucas. She is the executive director of the National Book Foundation. And Kevin Wynn is the new deputy editor at GQ.com, also formerly of many great bookish places. And we're going to do a little 2016 halftime show. Jeff and I have been talking about some of the developments in the industry over the course of the year so far, but we're going to take a break here and talk about the actual thing. We're going to talk about books. Uh, so before we get into some favorite titles, we've each picked some favorites and we're probably going to cheat. I thought I would ask each of you if there are any overarching patterns or feelings or interesting themes that you're seeing in books so far this year. I think it's hard because, uh, you know, I feel like the themes sort of emerge like at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I feel like I have a really clear picture about, you know, books in 2015. Mm. Um, like as of like maybe now, okay. you know, finally paste it together. <laughs> I think it also has to do with what gets the awards. Like, I mean, it's oh, not so much like, cause there's too many books to have a theme, but I think what ends up happening is that like the books that get the most celebrated, it's like, this is the year that we were interested in talking really boldly about race. Sure. But like that doesn't happen until like after November when ta wins the, the award. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah, interesting. I totally believe, like, uh, and I know we're maybe, like, a little biased because, like, you know, you run the National Book Foundation. I'm a member of the National Book Critics Circle. Um, but I just feel like those two awards, especially last year, they kind of solidified. Like Paul what, Beatty. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Beatty. And I, that was another, you know, I feel like for me, 2015 um, was a book where, uh, you know, like, for a long time, publishers had this bullshit excuse where they're just like, oh, we don't really publish, you know, black authors uh because they don't sell well we'll do one per imprint we'll do yeah exactly it's like we'll Mm -hmm. just check off that and it's like well 2015 proved that that was entirely untrue you know like how many Mm -hmm. books sold better than ta-nehisi um right even the books that were kind of underrated i think paul Beatty had like one review when the sellout came out you know like Mm -hmm. it piled on at the end of the year and it just was the best book of on just about every list probably um yeah i was I went into that question sort of hoping that you guys would have revelatory answers because I also don't have an overarching feeling to 2016 yet, other than I feel like we've gotten really great debuts this year. And maybe I say that every year. I probably do say that every year. But it feels to me like I've read incredible new voices this year and a greater variety of incredible new voices. Um, But I'm not sure yet if that's like publishing doing a better job or if I'm reading more of them. Um, Um. I think it's kind of reflective of publishing. I mean, like, especially, you know, like the first quarter of the year, um, just leading up into spring, it's kind of a time where like publishers, they like, they try out all the stuff that they don't have to put a lot of marketing dollars behind. So they're, you know, you'll see a lot of debut fiction there. Um, I, but I do agree with you. I do I feel like I've read a lot of great debuts in the first half of this year. 
Good stuff. All right. So let's go into our favorites of the year so far. Uh, and we're ready to cheat. We've got a great list. Um, I was so excited seeing what you guys were selecting as they were coming through on emails and thinking about like things that I've talked about on other shows and how I wanted to do this. It's never easy to narrow down with as much as we read. Um, but Lisa, where do you want to start? Sure. Um, so I, I feel like I should say that like, obviously, because I run the National Book Awards, that everything that I pick is like my personal pick. Opinions are my own. Yeah, no, because it's like, you don't want to think like, I am recommending this for the National Book Award. I am like, definitely not um, involved in that process. The judges do it on their own. So I just feel like I should say that in advance. But a quick question. Do people get confused? Like when they say like, you know, Lisa Lucas, like she's the head of the National Book Foundation. Do people think that like you just pick the winners and like the nominees? Just, Do people ever get confused? Yeah, well, I think when people outside of publishing who aren't familiar with the awards sometimes are kind of like, what does that mean being in charge of the awards? Um, I think within publishing, I think people have a pretty strong understanding um, that like I'm picking the judges. Um, and that's the like the long and the short of my involvement with what happens on the stage in November. Yeah, uh, I guess it makes sense. like uh, I was thinking about um, sort of the Oscar controversy last mm. year. All the the nominees were white, um, and you know, like in my head, like I'm not in the movie world, so like I just blame in my head like one one person for all of these things. And it turns out it's like an academy full of people. <laughs> right, but the person who's in charge this year, they had the most diverse academy class they've ever had. They had more women, they had more people of color, and it changed the demographics of the academy. The people who vote for the award and. You know, and they brought in a woman of color, I believe, to run the academy. Yes, yeah, um, she's, so she's been running she... it for a few years. Um, but I, I would say that uh, I followed the new. So the, all these new class people are like they're invitees to join um, the academy, which is really cool because it was like forty percent people of color, maybe fifty percent women. But I think it's like if they all accepted, uh, like the percentage of like white people in the voting academy would move from like ninety one percent to eighty nine percent. So like, it's still like, it's still super white. (laughs) That's what I get for like reading the headline and not reading the entire long form article. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting though, Lisa, like, because the group of people that are selecting the National Book Awards is so much smaller than the Academy, that being the one who's selecting the judges means that, like, to borrow the terrible business phrase, you can move the needle a lot more easily or you can attempt to move the needle a lot more effectively um, with, with just an interesting and diverse judge selection. No, oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. They actually, the National Book Awards have always, at least for the past, you know, when Harold's been there, it's been a really diverse group of folks. Always. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of like, there wasn't a lot of moving the needle that I felt like I really needed to do because Harold was so, Harold was my predecessor. He was so good about thinking in that way and thinking about representation and making sure that the judges actually reflected like what the country looks like. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what's the first book that you are loving but not officially recommending for the National the Book Award? The first book that I love is actually one of our honorees for 535 from a few years ago. And I've been sort of singing this book's praises all up and down the streets since it came out. Um, the Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan, um, which I thought was just absolutely stunning. And a lot of people come to it and they're like, what do you mean it's about horse racing? I'm not into that. <laughs> and I just feel like everybody should like just step back from that initial impression and really understand that it's like just this political, beautifully written book about race and class and family um, and like just the American condition. Um, and it's one of the most exciting things I've read in a very long time. 
So CE Morgan's The Sport of Kings, I absolutely, absolutely recommend um, as my first pick. I felt that way about H's for Hawk last year um, when people would be like, oh, I just don't know if I want to read a, a book about hawk training. And you're like, no, 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 but it's really not about the hawks. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's like these things are just like the, the, the lens through which you view all of these bigger things. And in the hands of a really, really gifted writer, you know, it could be about anything and you're still going to learn something about yourself. You're still going to learn about the world. But this book really look, looks at uh, multiple generations of a very wealthy family in Kentucky um, alongside all of the black families that have grown up without that sort of consistent generational um, transition of wealth or wealth at all. And just the, the relationships. Um, and then you're also at the same time looking at this horse that's been bred from multiple generations and the whole goal is to create the super horse, you know. Um, and when you look at these families, these three different sort of groupings, you look at the horse, you look at the, the, the sort of white families that have grown up with all of this generational wealth. And then you look at the black families that built the wealth for these white families but have grown up really without having that same kind of lineage without having the same kind of resources um, and where everybody ends up. It's really just this, this moving novel um, about what our country is like and why it is the way that it is. That sounds awesome. I remember reading, I, it's like at the top of my list, but uh, there's like an incredible uh, piece in the New Yorker by Catherine Schultz about, about CE Morgan. And ever since I read that, I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get on that. (laughs) (laughs) It completely blew my mind. I stayed up like, multiple nights in a row until four o'clock in the morning reading because it's not a small book but it really moves you along I mean it's like dramatic and exciting and spiritual it's all of these things at one time and um, I could not I could not get enough of it and I'm definitely too old to stay up until four o'clock in the morning multiple nights (laughs) yeah that's a compelling sell for many reasons (laughs) yeah (laughs) what's at the top of your list Kevin um, I think it's the most underrated book uh, of the year. So that's why I'm plugging it number All one. Right. Although I think it is my favorite because I go back to it a lot. But it's uh, Version Control by Dexter Palmer. Um, so it is a speculative, it's a book of speculative fiction. Um, and it's it's really about uh, science. Um, and the kind of funny thing is like, there's sort of this idea in the book that uh, science fiction is a fantasy where the science works. Hmm. Um, whereas in real life, science is actually like a process of like just constant and measured failure. Like that is what progress is in science. You just like keep trying things over and over and they just keep failing. Um, and so that works as like a great metaphor for a lot of the things that Dexter Palmer wants to talk about, um, including, uh, you know, misogyny, racism. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff about um, technology um, one, like there's just, it's just full of these great little tidbits. Um, like there's a part, um, in the book, it's kind of in the near future, like maybe 10, 15 years from now. Um, but there's like a part where, uh, you know, driverless cars, they're like a thing finally. And, um, someone gets in a car accident. Um, and what the software, uh, in the car does is it tells the driver to take the wheel. Um, and what that does is it then relieves the software, uh, of culpability for the car accident. And then the person driving gets blamed. Um, even though the computer told her to take the wheel. So um, it's just like full of like little great things like that um, that are really, it made me ask a lot of questions. And, you know, I used to work uh, at Google. I used to work at Amazon. Um, I should have been asking all those questions then. Oh, <laughs> that's ominous. Yeah, it's it's a dark book. It's like also lightly about trying like time travel. Um, so there's there's a lot of really fun things going on in there. 
Cool. My first pick is also a dark book, and it's a cheat because uh, I thought that I would start us off right. This one did not technically come out in the first six months of the year, but it did come out today on July 5th when we're recording. And so it'll be out for all of our listeners by the time that you hear the show. It's Here Comes the Sun by Nicole Dennis Bin. Um, this is one of those great debuts of the year. Uh, it's a novel set in Jamaica about three women. Uh, the main character is Margot, and she is working as a, she works as an, kind of an administrative position at a fancy hotel. Um, and she is saving all of her money from that position and also from the prostitution job that she has on the side, under the table with the fancy guests of the hotel to help put her younger sister Tandy through school. Um, her mother had her when she was 16. She's sort of right in between her mother and her younger sister. And she feels this great sense of duty and sacrifice, but also has suffered really uh, just horrific trauma and the novel, as we spend time with each of these women, uh, oh, and Margot is also gay. So we see her relationship with her lover and how secretive they have to be. And there's this wonderful lens onto all of these really difficult subjects. Um, but the story itself moves along very quickly. And Nicole Dennis-Ben is looking at, uh, also is looking at misogyny. She's looking at cycles of inherited trauma, of abuse, of uh, what really happens to people who live in a place like Jamaica when white people show up and say they're going to develop tourism and it's going to be great for everyone. Um, lots of great, difficult questions and just some of the most gorgeous sentences that I've read this year. Um, I didn't get to talk about it on the 2016 halftime show that Liberty and I did on our All the Books podcast because it wasn't technically out yet, but I couldn't <laughs> pass up an opportunity uh, to talk about it now. I'm dying to read that book. Oh, I've, it's so I've been good. meaning to, and I've just been sort of, you know, the pile grows and grows, sure. grows. But I just, I, I am dying to read that book. It's so good. You're like, oh, she's doing this thing. And then 20 pages later, she does this other thing. It's like, oh, she's going to do that thing too. And the, the things that she's capable of doing and the plates that she keeps in the air and then the surprises that just appear. Uh, it's really, or it's a really impressive debut. I had uh, several of those, like, this is someone's first book moments. And I really would like to know how many novels she has in a drawer somewhere that were the practice. It's also been so fun to watch her you know, as the press comes out around the book and to watch her like on, you know, the uh, Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter. she's just got the most joyful spirit around the publication of the book. She's just excited and ready for all of it. And it just, you know, the, her enthusiasm and her commitment to like being a writer is really charming. Yeah, I met so. her for like 12 seconds at BEA and walked away with that same impression. She just seemed so delighted and just genuinely excited by the whole thing. And there was none of that like, oh, man, publishing is hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> not jaded at all. No, really wonderful. Uh, what's next on your list? My list. Next, I've got Evicted by Matthew Desmond. Yes. Oh, yep. <laughs> that book, guys. Oh. It's so heartbreaking and terrible, but so important. So Matthew Desmond um, went to Milwaukee, and I think he was there for like two years or something, and he embedded um, in kind of an inner city neighborhood um, and in a trailer park. And he took a look at what eviction means for people without resources in a city and what that means for their lives and how disruptive and how, um, you know, really profoundly embedded in our society, this um, problem of having unstable housing is, um, and how it's one of the great issues of our, you know, of our generation, and probably several generations. 
And it really just, you know, it was sort of like Catherine Boo's Behind the Beautiful Forever mm-hmm. for me, where it was this really empathetic, thoughtful, rigorously reported and deeply readable um, book about um, a social issue um, that more people need to read about. And I think that what's been so great about it is that everybody that picks it up is really moved by it. And it's also really, you know, able to access it. So it's one of those rare books that's like, you know, he's a MacArthur genius. Um, you know, I think he's a professor at Harvard. Um, but that book is just really for everyone. It is as smart as anything. And it is also as, um, inviting, um, to have that conversation with the author as anything. And I just felt, um, really moved. I was also really, um, I was really impressed by the way, um, that he reported it because he sort of told the story you know, interweaves his experiences, um, in this apartment complex and walking around with this landlord, um, who, you know, from my impression seems to be fairly, um, definitely, um, kind of preying on her tenants and, and preying on low income tenants. Um, and this trailer park owner who was also in his own way, um, preying on his tenants, um, and weaves these back and forth. So you really get this full picture that it's a cross race. It really is, um, an issue that affects different communities in different ways. But then at the end, really offers some solutions and really thinks about um, what this problem really means. So it's not this kind of book that just draws this bleak picture of what is going wrong and then just says, you know, and here we have it. He really says, and, but this does not have to be this way, um, which I thought was really, um, really well done. So I was, I, I was very impressed with that book and I really enjoyed reading it and I, I felt, you know, um, like it brought a lot of awareness to something that people don't really think about. I mean, he makes this really amazing point very early on in the book, which is that uh, much like um, incarceration um, is the most plaguing um, social issue for black men, eviction really is for black women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely like the most powerful parallel in that book for me. I just second everything like uh, yep. you said. It's an incredible book. And it's one of those books, too. I think um, I think it got acquired for a lot of money. You know, like I remember reading it about it when it got acquired and like just kind of wanting to dislike the book on the principle of that <laughs> just like <laughs> for all this like weird attention it got. And then it's like three pages in. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I was wrong. Right. It's like, yeah. just like <laughs> keep throwing money at him, please. Yeah, I know. But no, but he uses the money for his, like to do further research. Like he like took all of the MacArthur money and started like a nonprofit with it. Wonderful. Yeah. The book is amazing. I would be shocked if it didn't win some kind of award come, uh, come year end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really glad to see it on your list. And when you were talking and you were mentioning about incarceration, it reminded me of um, Incarceration Nations by Baz Dreisinger, which came out earlier this year and is a look at methods of incarceration and rehabilitation uh, to the extent that different nations attempt to actually be humane and rehabilitate criminals versus just having a convenient place to lock people who look certain ways away. Um, really also a very inviting and important book about a social issue for sure. All right, Kevin. Um, let's see, what do I want to talk about next? So many, so many books. Um, I think the best debut I read this year was What Belongs to You by Garth Greenwell. Um, and you were talking about how this has been a great year for debuts. Um, so this one's my favorite. Um, it really doesn't, it's funny, it doesn't read like a debut at all. It, it really reads to me like a, like a nearly perfect novel. Um, but it's basically, uh, it's about this, uh, American teacher. Um, and he, you know, he's working, um, somewhere, you know, I can't actually remember where, but he's somewhere, um, I think in Eastern Europe and, uh, he meets a man, um, and you know, like they have this 
very tenuous relationship, uh, romantic relationship. Um, and then it's sort of, it's about that. And it jumps ahead um, several years later when he sees him again. Um, and it's sort of how, you know, it's basically a book about like eroticism and sort of like the tenuous link between like lust and humiliation. Um, this book is, is very delicately written, um, but very, very powerful. Um, I love every page of this book. I've kept like side-eyeing that one and sidling up to it and thinking about it, but I think you just sold me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of a, it's sort of a hard read. Like the second act of it um, is really pretty haunting um, just in the way that, you know, your perception of someone can change um, over time. I, I can't recommend this book enough. It's also short too. I feel like that's a good way to sell a book to people who mm-hmm. don't <laughs> yeah, a lot of them. Like, it's it's not easy, but it's kind of short. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, my unsung favorite of the year so far is The Hour of Land by Terry Tempest Williams. It's the the subtitle and the most beautiful description of it is A Personal Topography of America's National Parks. Um, this is the centennial of the national park system. And she is a wonderful naturalist and conservationist and a wonderful writer of all sorts of material. I have just loved everything that she's written that I've read. Um, and this was intended to be you know, a celebration of America's national parks on the centennial, but it's very not straight ahead. Um, And she doesn't really do anything straight ahead. I think it's one of the things that makes her so wonderful to read. But this is meditations from 13 from times that she spent in 13 of the national parks. And it, you know, she spends time with people who work in the parks, she writes about the history of the parks and what it is. But it's really a book uh, like H is for Hawk and like, um, now I can't even remember the title of the first one you talked about. (laughs) Oh, sort of thing. Yes, and like that. That's not so much about what it's supposedly about as it is about the bigger ideas. And so it's really about what it is as a nation to set aside wild and beautiful natural places for citizens to enjoy um, what it means to us as humans to go out into nature, what drives us to do that and what can happen to us when we take advantage of that and what it might mean for America in the very tenuous feeling time that we are in uh, to contemplate the reasons that we have these wild, beautiful places and to allow ourselves to go into them um, and to think about what it means to continue to take care of them uh, in both an environmentalist sense and in a like what we get from doing that. It's so gorgeous. There's just really wonderful writing about um, what she experiences out in the world, um, thinking about birds and being delighted by prairie dogs and, you know, looking at the river uh, in a national park in Texas that is the marker between Texas and Mexico and how that's an invisible border, but one that is so fraught politically. Um, just really incredible. I can't ever be articulate about her. I love her so so very much. Um, and the book is The Hour of Land by Terry Tempest Williams. We are technically entering our last round, uh, but I think everybody has a couple more picks. So Lisa, you have one or two that you want to pitch before we roll on. Sure. Um, so the next one that I wanted to talk about is the book that definitely made me laugh the hardest um, this year so far. Um, and it's uh, A. Egoni Barrett's Black Ass. Um, and I feel like I don't want to say too much about it. It's satire. Mm. Um, and it's about a man who lives in Lagos and he wakes up to go to a job interview and he realizes in short order that he's turned white. Um, and literally literally has turned white. Um, and it's just insane. But I think one of the things that I like, so it's hilarious and it's this really searing social satire. Um, and it's beautifully written. It uses Twitter um, to the best effect that I think I've seen a novel use Twitter. 
because I feel like sometimes people really try to force it in their life. Mm. The digital revolution is here and I really want to use Twitter or Facebook as a, a device in my novel and it doesn't always go well. But this, I thought, went exceedingly well. Um, and it just also, I feel like, you know, somebody, there was an article this week about a woman who was writing a memoir about going to Africa and it was completely stereotypical and terrible and it's been making the rounds. Has anybody seen that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, at the bottom of it, you have that how not to write about Africa essay by, um, Binyavanga Wainina. Um, I hope I said that right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it just, it feels like it really is such a great African novel. It does such justice to Lagos um, and to thinking about like just the city. It's like New York. It's like Paris. It's like any other place. You know, it's a city and it really doesn't play up its Africanness because it is just a book by a man who's from Nigeria, you know, and it was great to see so much um, love for the book you know, and see it enter into people's consciousness because it's important, I think, for people to read books that actually don't have to play up where they're from. They just happen to be a book from where they're from. There's no acacia tree on the cover. Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's it's a picture of a city with a bunch of cones and some, you know, what look like taxi cabs and and advertisements. And it just, there really is something about that. And there also is an image that really does, um, it really looks like a black ass. Um, in which the title is housed, which I love. When yeah. I saw it, I was like, it's really a, made a black ass. It is a great cover. It's a great cover. But, you know, but I just think that it's like that, you know, and I think that's one of the things that you've been seeing this year quite a lot, which is just like, you know, gosh, we finally get to tell our stories, like just because we're storytellers rather than because we need a story about Africa. And this felt very much like this kind of offbeat, quirky, idiosyncratic, you know, really over the top satire that was done exquisitely well. Um, that was deeply funny um, and that had a really, really great point of view. Um, but it was, you know, it, it, it didn't serve a particular political function by existing, which I thought was really refreshing. You know, I think you're onto something there that publishers are starting to get that, like, we don't have to be apologetic about the potentially racially charged story. And also that a story that's written by a man who happens to be from Nigeria doesn't necessarily have to be a politically or racially charged story. In Black Ass's case, it, you know, it's, it's <laughs> there's, you right. know, it's definitely racially and politically charged. <laughs> but, it's like, but it's not in the same way that something that you might have, you know, that, that you would imagine there was pressure to publish 20 years ago. And Grey Wolf is so wonderful for what they do for books in general, but also for knowing that that's the way to publish a book like Black Ass. Um, is also, to, just a great story. Yeah, you don't, have to pretend to you don't have to pretend it's anything other than it is. And it's way more entertaining than a guy wakes up and turns into a fly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, he really, I mean, and I just, I, I feel like talking about it too much is going to make me spoil it for everyone because there were just so many moments where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> No, they did not. <laughs> um, Kevin, I know one of the books on your list is pretty funny, too. Yeah. OK, so I got I'm going to talk about two really quickly. Um, there's American Housewife by um, Helen Ellis. Um, and what's interesting is like sometimes I figure like, oh, like what is the mark of like a great book? And it's like, is it something that stays with you? And what's kind of funny is I loved American Housewife. And then before going to this podcast, I was like, oh, I don't remember anything about this book, even though I read it, I probably read it last November or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very, very, another very short book. So I, you know, I started flipping through it again um, before just, you know, just a few days ago. And 
it's kind of great. Like you can just experience that whole thing again. Um, it's a bunch of very, very short stories. Um, basically they're kind of about all these sort of unhinged, um, like women who stay at home. Um, but it's very funny and it's a lot of it is just about how they love it when their husband is not there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's super, super funny. Um, that's like another thing. I, I love the idea that like I could just pick up this book every six months and just like read through it in like a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like a great singular experience. Um, and then the other book I want to talk about is a comic book, um, called Hot Dog Taste Test by Lisa Hanawalt, which I, I just read over the weekend. Um, so Lisa Hanawalt, um, she's a cartoonist. She's kind of famous for, um, you know, putting, um, drawing like humans with animal heads. Um, she actually does all the character designs for the TV show BoJack Horseman. Mm. Um, so, you know, she's got this great sense of humor. Um, so I was thinking also the other day um, that I really love albums that kind of feel like mixtapes, um, which I think is kind of like an, an increasing trend, um, not just in hip hop, but in a lot of music. Um, and Lisa Hanawalt's books, her first one's called My Dirty Dumb Eyes, um, as well as this one. Um, they kind of feel like the literary equivalent of, of a mixtape, which I guess is like a sketchbook or a notebook. So there's like just lots of like little stories in here, little doodles. Um, this one's kind of focused largely on food. Um, and Lisa's, Lisa Hanawalt's work is, is often in Lucky Peach. So there's some of that stuff republished in here. But I just love it. She talks really intelligently about food, but like kind of in a bodily way. Um, like there's a lot of stuff in here about pooping. Um, and I feel like Sold. that's, you know, yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> a whole gastronomic experience plus a bunch of other stuff. Um, it's like a really great joke in here about mouthfeel. Um, and like you said, <laughs> you said gastronomy, pooping, and mouthfeel. Really <laughs> Jeff is going to be like, I'm <laughs> never letting Shinsky host this podcast by herself ever again. <laughs> like, uh, it's a little nauseating. Uh, it's a little grotesque. And I think that's kind of, it's so, it's so funny. It's so, like the Mary Roach way. Yeah, actually. Um, it's, yeah, imagine like a, I, actually, it's a great idea. Like for fans of Gulp who want to read like kind of an unhinged comic book, Lisa Hannah Waltz, Hot Dog Taste Test. I love that. I'm so excited to read it now. And I was so happy that you mentioned Helen Ellis. I love that collection as well. And she has that great, like, profane Southern lady thing yes. happening. It's so fantastic. Um, my last pick was also the book that I had the most fun reading so far this year. It's The Regional Office is Under Attack by Manuel Gonzalez. Um, oh, so good. It's so good. I want people to just throw all of their money at him. His debut collection, The Miniature Wife, is one of my favorite collections of short stories. And this book is just balls out great. Uh, It's about a secret agency called the regional office that's housed underneath an actual but also kind of fake travel agency. And the regional office is under an attack by someone from the inside. There are these two assassins that are going against each other. One works for the regional office and one helped plan the attack. One of them is kind of a cyborg. One of her arms might be fake, but nobody knows if that's true. And if so, which one? There are people recruiting girls to turn them into oracles, maybe, but they might also just be like floating in kiddie pools. You kind of don't know. Um, There's just like every possible genre and pokes at sci-fi and fantasy, but in the most loving way. Um, It's adventure-y. You can see the movie of it happen in your head. And the voice is just so much fun. And then the whole thing is housed in this big narrative of telling the story about this attack years later Um, in in a kind of academic context, actually. Um, The frame story is just as interesting as the action itself. And it's just so surprising and so much fun. And I think writing a novel that's just really fun to read is tough. Uh, and it's uh, not often. I think every year I have a couple just really fun reading experiences. And the regional office is under attack was by far the most fun I've had so far. 
Yeah, I keep recommending that book uh, to people who like Joss Whedon. Yeah. There's like a very, I think it's the sort of, um, it's like an intelligent book, but it also just like is very uh, self-aware of the genre itself. Um, mm-hmm. And you can kind of see those wheels turning. It feels a lot like, you know, uh, Cabin in the Woods. You guys have seen that? Yeah, yeah. Um, it felt like Nick Harkaway and Angel Maker a little bit to me also in that way. Like, here is exactly what I'm going to play with. And we can all be in on the joke together um, while I play with these genre conventions. Yeah, Everything that's really he writes is for people who like joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I'm we such sh- a big fan of his. He's so wonderful. He is. He's he also great. makes pies. I know. I went to a reading for the Miniature Wife at Word in Brooklyn years ago, and he had brought pie. And I was like, yeah, or, could you be more perfect? <laughs> <laughs> There's like pie and cocktails. It was great. Um, Lisa, do you have a cheat pick? Yeah, I do have a cheat pick. Let's I actually that swapped there. out my cheat pick. Um, uh, but I will not insert too many more. But, you know, the one that I just finished recently was Michael Denzel Smith's Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching, A Young Black Man's Education, which I thought was really very interesting. Nonfiction again. Um, and it's really about um, this young man who goes to Hampton University, which is an HBCU, uh, Historically Black College University. And it's about, like, as a millennial, like, coming to consciousness, coming to consciousness, you know, coming to political consciousness, like, um, you know, with being a young person and knowing that Obama is going to become president and is president. And what does that mean? What does it look like for a young black man um, to grow up in a world that's very different, even just 10 years later than my life was? Um, and I thought that it was really smart and really conversational and really inviting and really reflective of, I think, how a lot of young people of color who are watching the Trayvon Martins, who are watching the political races you're watching Trump, um, you know, it, it, it unpacks a lot of the way that that generation is feeling. I know we're all tired of saying and hearing millennial all the time, but um, I think that, you know, you have a, a really um, digital vocal um, generation of people. And I think that this book really felt like the first time I'd read something that really summarized from his perspective, you know, what that feels like and, and wh- how different the cues are how different the, the historical moments, you know, what does it mean to grow up, you know, not listening to NWA or listening to Tupac, but like coming up, listening to most deaf coming up and listening to, you know, to, to Kanye, um, and watching some of the, you know, the political challenges that many athletes have had. So it's interesting. I thought that book was like, I was, I picked it up and I was like, I'm curious about this. And I found myself really happy that it existed and really like, um, I felt a lot, um, like I had learned something meaningful having read it because I'm a little bit older than the author, you know? So. And what's the title of that one again? It's called Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching, A Young Black Man's Education. That's a great title. It is a great title. It's a great cover too. It's, you know, a black cover with this kind of like, um, like paint brushed on type, um, that's in kind of a fading yellow to red fire kind of, um, motif. It's really, it's, I, you know, I was very, that was the, probably the most surprising book that I read this year. It was the book that I hadn't really thought about that I really, you know, picked up and, and, and got to reading it and was like, oh, well. That feels like a good new book note to end on. Uh, but before we wrap up the show, I want to ask if there's anything in particular that you're really looking forward to for the rest of the year. Kevin? 
Um, I feel like Lisa might say the same thing, but I I'm think I'm definitely going to say the same. Thing. <laughs> uh, Colson Whitehead, um, his new novel, The Underground Railroad. I think that yeah. is the book to beat this year. Um, I'm not sure we'll read something better than that. I'm not here to say what's to beat or not to beat, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that that book was really an achievement. Um, and I was really excited, um, to read it. And that's, you know, that, that, that really, really, uh, blew me around. I'm also excited for Maria Semple's book, Today Will Be Different. I don't know if either of you read, uh, uh Where'd You Go Bernadette? But oh, that yes, one, indeed. That book. Funniest, mm-hmm. best books, you know, if you, like complicated women who are just doing it all wrong, but are so smart and so human and so like, you're like, remind you of yourself. Um, I'm really excited to see her new book, uh, which I think is coming out this fall. Yeah, that um, one. Maybe, oh, go ahead. Oh, I would say that one looks really great. And I haven't read Underground Railroad yet. I feel like I keep feeling like I should save it for something. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but I also feel like I should read it immediately. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa and I were forgot where I saw you recently, but I think we were both talking about it and we were both like, we should both reread that already. You know, it's not even out yet and we feel the need to reread it. Yeah, it was really incredible. I mean, you know, he's such an interesting writer too. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a relatively short career at this point, you know, um, and he's gone all over the place. He's really done a lot and it feels like he's taking from all of the different things that we know Colson Whitehead is good at and really doing them all at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't know like uh, if you guys have this, but I feel like usually when I read a book, I have like book reviewer goggles on or something like that, where I'm trying to like pick apart things. I'm like, this is why it's working. This is why it's not. Here's if I write a review later, like a passage I can use. So I'm always like reading with that in mind. And then reading Underground Railroad, I just like just gave up. I just like I was just letting the book sort of like overwhelm me. Um, and I don't know, I haven't had that experience or even wanted that in a long time. That's a great great reading experience to have, um, just to fall back into the book. Yeah. It's rare for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm weirdly dying to read the George W. Bush biography. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, I'm, did you see the review this weekend? There was I'm, this review and it was just like, no holds barred. I am now really <laughs> dying to read your tweets about the George W. Bush. Yeah. Book. I mean, but I'm in this presidential book club, right? So I, we're still on, you know, John Adams. <laughs> Are you I mean, going in I order? I feel like I can read the Bush one this year because I have to get through all of the presidents, you know? That so like, That sounds like the worst book club. That is <laughs> quite it's a project. It's fascinating. It's so good. We're reading it it's, it's, you know, it's so good. The closest I'll ever get to that is that I could still sing the song we learned in fourth grade that named all the presidents in order. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll, I think, wrap up there. Where can the people find you on the internet if they would like to catch up with you or talk to you about the books that you've mentioned today, Lisa? Um, I'm Lika Luca, L-I-K-A-L-U-C-A on Twitter. That's the best place to find me. Um, yeah, probably the same for me. I'm, uh, at Kane on Twitter as well. And I'm always tweeting. Wow. You got to watch out for the Kevin Knight tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. thought about that when I was doing your intro to the episode, like Kevin Wynn, writer of excellent night tweets. Uh, thank you. I feel like all like night Twitter has like bled into the day. It so has. <laughs> throwing out lots of garbage tweets all the time. So is night I- tweets like night cheese? Kind of, well, <laughs> I love it? you so much for that reference. <laughs> oh, is that from 30 Rock? <laughs> yeah. Yes. You don't know what night cheese is, man? 
I think I have now. <laughs> we got to get out before this gets ugly. Uh, <laughs> I'm Rebecca Shinsky. You can find me online at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Of course, uh, Book Riot is bookriot.com and the show notes will be at bookriot.com slash podcast with a list of all the titles that we've mentioned today. Thanks again, Lisa and Kevin, for taking time coming to hang out with me and talk about books that you love but do not officially endorse. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.